Welcome to GradCast, the official podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. Coming to you from the other London, let's start the show. Hello, everybody. Whoa, that was a little hot. Sorry. Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to GradCast, the official radio show of the Society of Graduate Students here at the glorious Western University. I missed you guys. I was actually not here last time. I was off on my honeymoon, and today I am joined by our co-host. You might not have heard her before, but if you just listen to the radio, this is Emma Bridgewater. She's been on the show now for a number of months. Say hi. Hello, everybody at Western. And she's come in to do her first radio show. That's really exciting. And of course, our guest tonight is from our Department of Biochemistry. We have Tara Condos, and she's going to come to talk to us about uh, X-ray crystallography and magnets and how we're going to use those to combat Parkinson's disease. Did I get that about right? Hello. Yeah, thank you. That's, uh, that's what I do. All right. So um, how can we start? Uh, well, let's, let's ask you, like, how did, what drove you towards biology and biochemistry in general? Um, I guess my my passion started young. Um, I've always been interested in science, and uh, I guess there was. I remember when I was little, there was a TV show called Popular Mechanics for Kids. Yes, and mm-hmm. I watched that every morning. So uh, that's uh, something that I like to do. Okay, that's good. And uh, could you guys give like the 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 elevator pitch for what you're working on? Sure. So I use a technique called NMR to study protein-protein interactions of a protein called Parkin. And our research has implications in Parkinson's disease. All right. So there's lots of one pack there. Uh, LMR, you said? NMR. NMR. So what is NMR? What, what does it mean? So NMR stands for Nuclear Magnetic Resonance, and it works on the principle that Nuclei in atoms have a nuclear spin, and when they're subject to a magnetic field, um, we're able to to tell what sort of a chemical environment they experience. And from that data, you can you can do a lot. You can study uh, structure three D structures of proteins, uh, as well as compounds, chemical compounds, and determining what their structure is. So there's like a uh, that that must be like really groundbreaking because like there's always been a lot of kind of mystery about proteins and what they look like and what they do. And as you were just saying, you were studying protein to protein interactions. Yep. So um, you're doing this. Is there any like other cool research going on and like the using the same technique? Like, is it a big bold new thing? Yeah, uh, NMR uh, spectroscopy is used for a lot of different things. Um, my my research in Parkin is pretty competitive, so lots of other research groups are trying to figure out the same questions, um, but using other techniques. Mm-hmm. And you were saying that this is you're doing work specifically on the Parkin protein. Is that where Parkinson's gets its name? Um, I wouldn't say that's how Parkinson's disease got its name, uh, but it is a catchy name for the protein that. Um, well, one of the proteins that, when it's mutated, leads to a type of Parkinson's disease. And so, that's odd because, like, it's really odd that, like, so there's Parkinson's disease and then the Parkin protein, and they're associated, but they got their names through different means. Yep, uh, I'm, I'm actually not sure 
how they came up with the name for Parkinson's disease. Um, I, I think what happened was um, a, a researcher found a gene that when it's mutated, it causes Parkinson's disease or symptoms of it. Mm-hmm. And so whoever found that gene thought, okay, let's give it a nice name, and they decided to call it Parkin. Excellent. It's a bit of a connection. <laughs> so, uh, t- like, walk us through what you do when you do NMR. Like, what um, what kind of data do you come out with? What kind of uh, ways do you look at everything? Right. So what we do in the lab is we... Uh, express and purify proteins so we express and purify parkin and then you make an nmr sample of it put it in the nmr and you you collect uh, hsqc spectra of it and um, just process the data and look for changes in chemical environments of um, residues related to parkin (laughs) So it's a lot of reading printouts and long nights in the lab, I assume. It's a lot of processing data, yeah. So just like it just comes out with like a bunch of numbers, like. Uh, so what you what you end up collecting from the NMR is uh, a spectrum, and the spectrum literally is a bunch of dots, and um, the dots change um, based on the chemical environment that they experience. And each one of these dots represents an amino acid in, in the protein. So, for instance, if you're looking at protein-protein interactions, um, if, if a protein binds to, to a residue, which is represented by a dot, then the chemical environment of that dot is going to change, and you're going to see it shift. And so that's how we're able to, to map a surface onto Parkin as to our, uh, a protein's binding. Okay. So when you're looking at the sort of th- these sorts of things, are you just looking for different mutations in this protein and what happens or like what is it that you're looking for in particular? If that makes sense as a question. Uh so we already know what mutations are found in patients with Parkinson's disease. What the question is now is how do these mutations cause Parkinson's disease? So uh, um mutations can have any uh, a range of effects on parkin for instance um uh ranging from making it activated or deactivated um to making it aggregate so they there's not one specific way in which a mutation leads to parkinson's disease okay so like uh, let, let's let's build like an image for the people listening out there so like proteins uh, small machines made by cells in order to do uh, any number of jobs. Yep. Now, they don't, um, they are, like, if you just looked at what they're composed of, you only get a small portion of, like, the story. Like, it would be like saying if you looked at, uh, like, a wrench, you would say it's 100% made of steel, but you wouldn't be able to describe, like, what it does, right? Right. And so what people go into this is like me being completely non-sciencey is they they look at how the molecules are arranged and this is called like protein folding and it's super super complicated i know that they've used like extremely powerful computers they've tried to make games to outsource the like brain power of people to solve these problems and when you're trying to and and sometimes like in the case of parkinson's like in the case of um 
in a lot of cases, a lot of diseases, especially ones that we have issues curing, it's when these proteins don't assemble the right way. And they do start doing strange things. They start doing dangerous things. Yep. Am I, am I getting that all right? Yep, that's right. And so what you're trying to do is you are using this um, these magnets to show where proteins are hooking up with each other. Is like yeah. I hate I hate to use the analogy. It's like Legos, or is it? Yep. Okay. You can you can think of it that way. And so these are like chains of proteins and how they're connected. And so like say if someone had Parkins, you might look at their Parkins proteins and see like oh it's not connecting the right way. It's like there's there's Anomalies in how things are in the chemical background. Is that? Yeah, yeah. So uh, if by doing what we do, which is studying how the proper functioning of Parkin works, then um, we can hypothesize that a certain mutation will have a certain effect on its function um, based on where it's located in the protein. Okay. And like, this is like lots of, uh, I mean, you know Alex, Alex, who is unfortunately not here tonight, but um, he does a lot of stuff with tau proteins, like the same idea. Mm-hmm. And uh, weird diseases like mad cow disease and, and and rabies are like also proteins that are folded weirdly and end up doing strange things. It's like all the same idea. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm, with I'm not gonna get you to t- comment on prionic diseases, but. With 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 Parkinson's patients, one of the symptoms is finding aggregates of proteins in the brain. Um, so it's it's similar in that sense. Okay, and and recently, you traveled abroad. You did a research fellowship. I did. Yes, where was it? So I did a three month fellowship, uh, a research fellowship to the University of Dundee in Scotland, and I ended up learning a technique called X ray crystallography from collaborators of our lab. And what did you do there? Uh, so so I learned how to do X-ray crystallography, um, what goes into it, um, how, you, how you make crystals, how you get a structure from a crystal. Um, and, yeah, I, I, it was just really fun immersing yourself in a completely new environment. So there's there's so uh, so on the um, let's 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 be the serious people for a bit and be like so you did X-ray crystallography is this like another way of trying to also f- unlock how proteins are folded? Yeah. So like I was saying earlier, um, our lab uses NMR to study Parkin and its function, and at the same time, there's lots of other groups using other techniques. Um, and X-ray crystallography is one of those that can give you an insight into how Parkin functions. And, and how does that process work? Crystallography? Uh, with or without X-rays? Um, well, with, with uh, X-rays, what you would do is you would, um, you would first want to get a crystal of Parkin, and that's really the s- sporadic part because you can either get crystals or you can't and uh, so some people will try to crystallize a protein and it can take anywhere from a week to months to years to it never even happening um so you we we tried to do that with parkin and and we are actually successful too um 
someone who worked in the lab was able to get a crystal structure of Parkin, and that was put in one of our papers. Okay, wait, wait. I want to hear about this thing about months and years. So, like, this is constantly, like, so if you hit proteins with x-rays, they do certain things, or? This is before you take it to a synchrotron and and shine x-rays on it. Um, (laughs) uh, It's it's actually really simple. You literally just take your protein that you made and you put it into uh, 96 well plates and multiply that by five different other plates and you hope that crystals grow and if they don't then you just keep trying different conditions so if it can take months for this to happen do you just kind of set aside a couple of plates and like if nothing's happening after a couple of days try a different condition or is there like a a wait period to see how long it's going to take if it's going to work so usually you're going to do it in one big chunk you're going to start with a ton of plates uh, put your protein in it and then wait for about a month and then usually that's enough to see some sort of a crystal form in one of the wells and then what, what you'll do once you see that crystal is you will you will j- jot down what conditions got that, that really crummy crystal and then you'll tweak those conditions very slightly in order to optimize your crystal um, and then uh, hopefully you'll get a good enough crystal to crystallize or to get data from. Okay. And what are the proteins doing when they crystallize? Uh, so they're they're like Lego. They're mm-hmm. just building on top of each other and crystallizing. Like um, I don't know a good example. Like you know how salts just a crystal of sodium and and chloride ions coming mm-hmm. together. That's what happens with your protein. Okay. Does that mean that, like, because when you take, like, like uh, when you make salt, salt is something that's very, like, two very hot, volatile compounds to make it more stable? Is that why it's better to use a crystal to take to the, to blast with the x-rays? Or? Yeah. So the idea with the, getting a crystal of a protein is you'll get, uh, like, thousands of of the protein in the same conformation. And so that allows you to magnify the signal that you see of it. So uh, that's why you would want crystals. All right, all right, now let's take it to the next step. So so synchrotron devices, we've had uh, one episode like uh, over a year ago now where we had somebody who was working with synchrotron devices. And I, from what I hear, they're actually all the rage right now. It's the hot new gadget for scientists these days. Um, can you tell us what they do? Uh, I, I can. Um, as much as you can. Like, I was like, no pressure. Yeah. Um, so basically, a uh, synchrotron has a beam and it shines x-rays. Um, and so you'll shine an x-ray on a crystal and then you'll get a diffraction pattern. And... Uh, using computer software, you can determine a crystal st- or a, a protein structure of this diffraction pattern. Okay, so like the X-rays. So like if you think of it like uh, if I had a laser and I shot a laser at like I don't know something made of glass or something that um, was reflective, and you could see like the light bounce off and hit like the walls, right? And so if that's if you think of it like it can. So if I'm getting it right, it measures how um, 
it hits the walls and it, it kind of is able to figure out how thing like the structure of the thing based on that uh, yeah exactly you're, you're gonna get light rays that diffract and it's gonna give you a pattern and then I, I haven't done it before but somehow computer software translates that into a crystal into a protein structure and you get out like a cool 3D shape or something like that yeah exactly awesome and um, what, did you find anything cool about that when you were when you plug, when you got the Parkins to crystallize and you got in the? Well, I didn't personally crystallize Parkin. It was um, it was my mentor who who got that crystal. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I didn't actually get to see that happen. Oh, I got to see what went into it and how you do it. Okay, excellent. And so you spent a lot of time in Scotland, hopefully outside of the laboratory, yes. enjoying the, the sights and the smells of Scotland. I did, yes. Um, I, I took, whenever I got free time, I, I traveled around. I went up to the Highlands. I went to Edinburgh and Glasgow and lots of museums, lots of food. Just tried a lot of different things. So what did you do while you were there? Um... So, like I said, I went to the Highlands. Um, there's lots of mountains. <laughs> um, uh, they also... One thing that I learned about Scotland is that they really like this drink called Iron Brew. I've heard of... You can buy it at some stores here if you, <laughs> if you miss it. Yeah, um, yeah, so, uh, and so Scotland is one of the only countries in the world where this drink outsells Coca-Cola. That's crazy. So your personal opinion on this drink? Um, I, I think it's something that you you have to get used to. Um, it, it was kind of like, it reminded me of a mix between root beer and orange soda. That's about accurate. Yeah, I've had it once or twice in the past, and that sounds about right. Yeah. We're getting a face of <laughs> approval from Emma here. It is not a face of approval. I have also tried it. <laughs> All right. And so the other thing I would ask you about is you are very excited about a lot of kind of side projects you do in London while you're here. Um, um, yeah. So I'm currently training for a triathlon with a friend. Um, we it's actually next weekend, so uh, I've always actually practiced. I, I suppose I, I go for runs and swims and bike rides in the morning. But then um, meeting him, he really just convinced me. He's like, "All right, we got to try this." And so now I'm doing a triathlon. Is it Ironman triathlon style, or is it a little bit? Uh... It's a sprint triathlon. Oh, okay. Is it like a long versus a short one? I'm guessing. Yeah, it's this the one we're doing is more so for beginners. So, wait, where do you you, you said every morning you go running and swimming and bike riding, uh, or at well, least one of them? Just just one a day. That's what to say. Like, what kind of gym has that kind of stuff? <laughs> that takes a lot of work. Uh, yeah, it's it's just good for your your health too. It gets you revved up in the morning. Hmm. So uh, what got you into triathloning? Because I know that's it's a combination of three different sports, and it's not usually everyone's uh, first pick for physical fitness. So, um, Well, I did soccer for a really long time, um, since I was probably 8 until um, 20. 
So once I stopped doing that, I wanted to find something to to fill the void. Um, so I just started going for runs, and then I joined the triathlon club here at Western, and just not, I've enjoyed it since. And I also hear in your notes, you have a very big trip coming up. You're, you're yes. going to the opposite of Scotland. Yes, I'm going to Japan. And what are you doing there? Uh, I'm going there for a conference um, to, to present some work. And then I'll be there for, in Osaka for a week. And then the following two weeks, I'm going to be spending with um, some friends of the family in Tokyo. And they're going to hopefully show me around and I'll hopefully get to try some new food. Yeah, I, I remember hearing you were excited about the food. Yep. Fan yep. of the Japanese food? Uh, we'll see. I, I like sushi. <laughs> well done. And um, it's lucky that you have the connection there with the family friends in Tokyo. I can't say I have any. <laughs> and um, you also have won a number of scholarships. You're actually very good at getting uh, <laughs> getting people to uh, get excited about your research. So you apparently just got NSERC. Congratulations on that. Thank you very much. Uh, would you have any advice to give out to the grad student who might be looking to also get grants once yeah, in a while? Yeah, science <laughs> students looking for NSERC. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I guess when it comes down to me, it's just hard work. Um, and um, doing something that makes you stand out will obviously catch the attention of anyone reviewing your, your, your application. So for me going to Scotland, I'm sure that played some role in me getting NSERC. So hard work and try and make yourself stand out. Be unique. Yeah. Okay. And, hmm, would be a good question to ask. <laughs> is, there anything else, if you, is there anything else that you're really excited about that right now? You know, you have Japan, you have apparently a very bright future ahead of you. Um, I, I, I'm just enjoying my time in the lab right now. Um, yeah, I've tried just working really hard right now. I don't have much else to say. I don't want to be that person who asks that question to every grad student, which is, what is it that you plan to do after you have your degree? (laughs) But what is it that you plan to do after you have your degree? Because you are in your fourth year of your PhD, so you're presumably coming up to defense in the next year, year and and a half? Yep. Um, So my goal, I've always wanted to be a doctor. I guess I'm going to be a doctor once I finish my PhD, but I've always wanted to be a medical doctor, and that's going to happen eventually, hopefully. Um, But uh, next year, uh, we'll see, really. I kind of want to go to France and maybe work there um, for some bio company. Who who knows? How's your French? Oh, c'est très bien. I mean, I know that everybody in London is dying to hear like the next few minutes in French, but uh, excellent. No, that's really good stuff. And France, you going to join like uh, MSF or something? Um, <laughs> I, I just have always wanted to go to France. I have 
and I've never been, so I just want to immerse myself in the culture. Adventurous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to travel in your life, get into biochemistry. It seems there's opportunities everywhere. Get into a good lab. Okay. Uh, I guess we're going to call it at that. Thank you so much, Tara, for coming on. We really appreciate you coming to talk to us. Uh, you had a lot of, you have a lot of really cool stuff going on. <laughs> and I'm jealous. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for explaining these complex scientific processes to those of us who are completely ignorant of them. <laughs> Very interesting. No With problem. Lego. And of course, if you only listen to Gradcast on the radio, you are actually only getting one third of the total content we produce. It's true. Uh, Gradcast records two podcasts, at least when we're at peak recording times. We record two podcasts on our weeks when you guys are listening to Health Talk Radio, I hope. And so we are always looking for new people to come and talk. But if you want, there's a podcast for you to listen to. It is found at gradcastradio.ca or uh, gradcastradio.com. If you check out that website, you'll find all of the hidden shows, new one every week. It's really good stuff. I'm super excited. And if you are a grad student out there, if you are at Western, if you want to talk about the stuff that you are doing to benefit this community, uh, to benefit the world, really, we have world-changing people here. You go to gradcastradio at gmail.com, send me an email, and I will get in touch with you. We are always looking for bright new people to come and talk to us. And until then... Have a sweet week, London. That's all we got for this week. If you like this episode, share it with someone. Check us all out on Twitter and Facebook. Both you can find through Gradcast Radio. You can go to our website to see more episodes at gradcastradio.ca. And if you want to come on the show and talk about your own research, great line for your CV, go to gradcastradio at gmail.com. The theme is Happy Boy by Kevin McLeod, and we will see you guys next time.